Our reading this evening is Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This was not the first time that the things of God, the things, the vessels of his temple, had been carried away. In fact, that was one of the things that really began the time, the period of God's people as a kingdom, when the Ark of the Covenant was taken away. The people of Israel lost a battle when they thought they could sort of extort or manipulate God against the Philistines. They were losing because they didn't trust in God, and so they carted the ark out into battle, and the Philistines defeated them and carried the ark off. 
and put it in the temple of their god, kind of like what happened in our lesson tonight. King Nebuchadnezzar came up to Jerusalem and he besieged it and he conquered it. And he carried off vessels from the sanctuary and he carried off people from among the young men of Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar had conquered God's people and it seems as though he has conquered God as well, just like it had with the Philistines. It seems like they had conquered God. It seems like God has suffered a defeat. And when it seems that way, it is easy to feel sorry, to feel as though our lives, the lives of God's people, are full of trouble. It would have been easy for the people of Israel when the Philistines had taken away the ark. It would have been easy for the exiles in Babylon to feel as though their lives were full of trouble because God had lost. Because something had gone wrong with God's plan. Because he wasn't as strong as he seemed to have been. Because he wasn't as in charge as he seemed to have been or as he should be. And now the task for those exiles, for people who are in the face of such trouble, now the task for us, say, in our world, must simply be to endure. To deal with the consequences of God's loss. The consequences of his defeat. And to think in the process that if only things were different, if things were better, it would be easier for us to believe. If only God hadn't lost so much. If only his enemies weren't so strong. If only they hadn't carried us off into exile. St. Peter talks this way. A long time after the ark was carried off by the Philistines and the vessels were taken from the sanctuary at the time of Daniel, St. Peter talks this way in the New Testament to us. To people like you and me, he says it this way. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's who we are. Sojourners and exiles. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In this time of exile, when you are in a foreign land, where you are not home, in that time when the people of Israel were sitting by the waters of Babylon, remembering the temple in Jerusalem, The call was the same. Abstain from the passions of your flesh. Wage war against the enemies of God. Be confident and be certain. Because there's an easy mistake to make in that situation. As the people of Israel sat by the waters of Babylon and mourned the loss of the temple and the loss of their home, it would have been easy for them to think that they were in trouble because God had let them down. But did you notice how it goes in our text today? how the story actually goes. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the the next sentence does not follow, and Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. But instead, listen to what it says. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It was not a defeat for God. For the people of Israel to be carried off into exile, it was not a defeat for God when the Ark of the Covenant was carried off into Philistia. It's not a defeat for God when you and I suffer persecution or trouble in this life on account of our faith. It's not a defeat for God. In fact, it is the Lord himself who gives us over into trouble. It was the Lord who gave the people of Israel over to the Philistines. It was God who gave the people into Babylon, and it is God who gives us whatever comes our way. It was the Lord who gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the steward, in the sight of the chief eunuch, in the sight of those people 
who were caring for his education. It was the Lord who appointed all of it. It's God who's in charge, and God does not suffer defeat. And that changes everything. That perspective is the perspective that matters most of all. That even when it seems as though God has suffered a loss, when it seems like the darkness is prevailing, when it seems like this world and all of its evil is growing and rising and progressing and fighting against us, when the darkness is encroaching, even then it is, in, it is essential that we pay attention to the fact that it is God who does all of these things. It is the Lord who is at work in all of this, and his purposes are good. So here's the context. In the third year of King Jehoiakim, who was king of Judah, the people of Israel were gone. The northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed. Samaria was wrecked by the Assyrians. And all that's left is the southern kingdom, the tribe of Judah and the tribes that were associated with it. But they were on the edge, on the brink. And it wasn't going to be 20 years later that they were going to be utterly wiped out, the temple destroyed, the city gone, and they were carried off into exile. In the third year of King Jehoiakim, when Nebuchadnezzar begins this battle against the people of Israel, when he starts to carry them off into exile, things are really rough for them because they have been following other gods, because they have been following the desires of their hearts, because they have been chasing their own passions and neglecting the poor and the fatherless, because they have not been listening to God. And so God gives them over to their enemies. God hands them over to Babylon, not to destroy them, not to bring them to nothing, but to humble them and to teach them faith, to teach them to trust in him. Now, there's a test that happens in the middle of our lesson, and it really is emblematic of the tests that we undergo, that Christians undergo. Daniel's there in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, and he has on offer the king's food. He can eat all of the riches of the feasting that goes on in the king's court, and he can drink the wine of the king. In fact, that's what's expected of him. It's good food that is meant to make him strong. But Daniel will not be defiled by that food. Yes, he lives in Babylon. Yes, he's being trained by the Babylonians, but he's not going to stoop that low. He will not be defiled. And he faces this test. It's a test of faithfulness. Will he trust in God? Will he believe God's promises? In the midst of this situation where it'd be easy to throw up his hands and say, where is God in all of this? Why have we ended up here? How could the temple be destroyed? How could we be carted off into exile? He's facing this test. Should I continue to trust in God? How strong is my faith? Can I believe God's promises? Can I carry on and do what is good? Maybe those kinds of questions are familiar to you. Beloved, I urge you, Peter says, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Daniel had to think, should I abstain or should I live like a Babylonian? Should I live as an exile and a stranger and a sojourner or should I just let myself be another one of these people? Should I be like everyone else? Now, the irony of this test is that it looks like a test for Daniel. It looks like a test for his faith. And so often we look at our lives and the challenges and the troubles that we face and we think that we are being tested, that God is seeing if we can endure, if we can hold up under the strain, if our faith is strong enough. But the fact is that there is no test which our faith can really endure. Our faith is not a matter of strength 
It isn't proven by its might or even by its endurance. When our faith is put to the test, it really isn't, in fact, a test of us, but instead it is a test of God. Now this is a subtle distinction, but pay, pay attention to this. When our faith is put to the test, the question is not how strong am I, but will God keep his promises? The question is never can I endure, but instead will God do what he has said he would do? The question is not am I faithful, but is God faithful? And so Daniel looks at the test in front of him. Should I eat the food or not eat the food? And there's really no test at all for him. The question is not what he can do or what he should do, but what will God do? And that question has already been answered. Daniel knows who God is, that he's faithful and just. Daniel knows who God is, that he's a God who loves his people. Daniel knows that this God, even the God who sends his people off into exile, is a faithful God who does it all for their good. A God who, in fact, is faithful unto death, giving up his life for the likes of you and me. And so you see a Daniel in our lesson today who is downright fearless. He's got no concern whatsoever. It's the steward, the eunuch, the the servant of King Nebuchadnezzar who's afraid. Daniel's not afraid. He knows that if he does what is right, if he does what is good, if he abstains from the passions of his flesh, which wage war against his soul, he knows that if he does that, God is faithful and just. And God will never let him down. That God has not lost. God has not been weakened. He's not suffered a defeat. His words haven't been tempered. He hasn't held back on his promises. Instead, God will do exactly what he swore he would do. And so whatever trouble Daniel seems to be facing, whatever trials or challenges, they're just a figment of his imagination because God is faithful. They're not real. They're just a fraud. They're a ruse, a ploy of the devil try to get Daniel to think that God isn't who he says he is, but Daniel knows better. And so Daniel behaves in an honorable way. This is how Peter goes on in his letter. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, when Daniel is facing this challenge, and the question is whether God will be faithful or not, What's on offer is not just some promise for Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not just for those young men there in Babylon, but it's a promise and offer for everyone. If Daniel is faithful, if he abstains from eating the king's food and drinking his wine, if he is faithful and trusts God and God is faithful to him, then who benefits? Not just Daniel, not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but everyone. Later in the story, we're going to hear that even King Nebuchadnezzar himself comes to believe in God because of the witness of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't fear. They were not afraid. Not now. Not when the lion's den is coming. Not when the fiery furnace is coming. They were never afraid because God is good. And their fearlessness, their trust in God, proves God's faithfulness. They give God an opportunity to make good on his word. And look what happened. They ate vegetables. When everyone else was eating meat and rich food, they ate vegetables, and they came out looking fatter and stronger than everyone else. And they were wiser than everyone else, more prudent. They knew more, and they had learned better than everyone else. God was shown to be faithful. He wasn't going to let his people fail. He wasn't going to let them fall. It's striking how God works 
under opposites here. His people are in exile and God seems to have been defeated, but look at what is actually happening. It is not surprising that God is glad to be humbled with his people. He doesn't abandon them to exile in Babylon, but God goes with them. He doesn't leave them to their own devices, saying, try and figure it out on your own. See if you can make it on your own. See if you can endure these troubles and these challenges. But God is there with them, faithful to them, all along the way. Willing even to suffer the spite and reproof of the neighbors who would say, well, where is their God now? He's let them go into exile. Even that, God was willing to suffer. Going alongside his people, being with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, never abandoning them, never letting his word fall to the ground, always keeping his promises, always doing good for them. That's who our God is. And that is what enables you to do just what Peter said. We are strangers and exiles in this world. Our situation is just like that of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our situation is just like that. We do not belong here. Heaven is our home. God's kingdom is our home. And the enticements of this world would offer us everything that was offered to them. Success, fame, fortune, happiness, pleasure, whatever you want. You can have it in this world. But God has something better. And so he urges us to be like Daniel. To say no. Not to be afraid. Simply to trust and believe. Even when all odds are against you, everyone had every reason to believe that if Daniel didn't eat the food of the king, he would come out weaker than everyone else. And that was not the way it went. You have every reason to believe that if you follow God's commands, if you do what he says, if you prioritize his word, if you keep his promises in front of mind, you have every reason to expect that things will go poorly for you in life. Because that's what happens. But look at what God does. He keeps his promises. He will not let you fall. He'll turn out and make you stronger and better than everyone else. Your success will be greater than everyone else's in a way that you can't imagine because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. We want so often just to fit in, just to be a part of this world. We want so often, like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego would have been tempted just to be Babylonians, just to give up on our homeland. But it's not worth it. What's on offer in a strange land when you're in exile is not your home. What's on offer is something that is temporary and fading away. And so you should fix your eyes on the promises of God. Ask yourself when you're confronted with the challenges of this life, ask yourself not what you are capable of enduring, whether or not you're going to make it, but instead simply ask this, who is your God and what has he done for you? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.